Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Lee Show. As always, I am your host, Lee Bressler. Exciting stuff today. Uh, it's the California governor's recall election. I, I've talked about this in the past, did a whole podcast on this uh, last month, two months ago. If you are a California resident, you have a moral obligation to vote for the recall of Gavin Newsom. He must be recalled. California government is terrible from the top down. The governor, the mayors of large cities, the incompetent state house and senate, even municipal groups like the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the groups overseeing the public schools, they're horrible. If these people worked for a company and showed this level of incompetence, they would be fired immediately. And the same goes for politicians. They are not competent. They should be fired. Now, Gavin Newsom, he, he probably didn't expect what he got. He's like this wine merchant from Northern California. And suddenly he's got to deal with wildfires and homeless encampments and schools and uh, uh, water shortages and lots of other crises. And he doesn't know how to do that. He's just this handsome guy. And he thought this was going to be fun. He thought this was going to be a cool job. He just wants to sit at the French Laundry and drink wine with his lobbyist friends. But governing is hard work. He's doing a terrible job of it. California is a very important state and he is running it into the ground. Now, it doesn't help that at the more local levels, you have boneheads like Chesa Boudin and George Gascon who are just unleashing criminals onto major American cities. That's not a good move. That's not responsible. But still, Gavin Newsom is doing a bad job. And COVID has exacerbated it. I get that. But it's highlighted that he is just guessing. He's doing arbitrary stuff and he's making it up as you go. And at the beginning, that was okay. We've got 50 states in the country. They're going to do different things and, and experiment and try different policies. And some will work and some won't. And that's okay. But once you know what works, you have an obligation to stop doing what does not work. And now we know what to do. We know what works. We know what happens if kids go to school. Nothing happens. We know what happens if people don't wear masks outside and if they go to the beach. Nothing. They have fun. They get exercise. They socialize. So enough with the stupid policies. But that's what defines Gavin Newsom is stupid policies. And it's a bit tricky because here, here's the rub. The guy who's leading in the polls after Newsom is this guy called Larry Elder, and he's a, a half a nut job. He's this black conservative Republican who thinks that reparations should be paid to the white descendants of slave owners. Can we, can we just not with that? Like, that's a, a terrible idea. As Tim Dillon said, could you imagine the country club Republicans who just want their taxes lowered and they, they hear him say this and they're like, oh my God, can you please just talk about traffic or the homeless or something? Like, Larry, what are you doing? Now, the other argument against Larry Elder is that if he becomes governor and then Dianne Feinstein, the, the senior senator from California, if she dies, she's 88, then he gets to appoint her replacement. And then the U.S. Senate flips Republican. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it hardly seems like a good enough reason to let Gavin Newsom keep wrecking the state. 
And it's hard. I mean, the, the second guy in the polls after Larry Elder is, is another goofball. It's a guy who's a YouTube landlord influencer. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means he, he figures out how you can scam your tenants. I, I don't know. But it's it's a lot of goofballs. And it, it's a shame that intelligent people don't feel a calling to do this job. And maybe it's because fundraising is hard. It seems like that's a big, big part of being a politician. I don't know. But whatever it is, I do know that California deserves better. And I hope that Gavin Newsom is recalled today. We haven't talked about the Middle East for a little while. You know, I, I think it's interesting to talk about the Abraham Accords. These were the agreements that were signed between Israel and a group of Arab countries in the region last year. And historically, these countries had nothing to do with Israel. They didn't have direct flights. They didn't have ambassadors. They didn't have direct relations. And now they do. That's good. Positive steps. But I think it's helpful to think about why that shift occurred. And I'll tell you, I think it's all about fracking. Because historically, the U.S. needed lots and lots of oil and the Middle East had lots and lots of oil. That worked out well. We would buy it from them. And in exchange, we wouldn't complain when the rulers of those countries were not nice, when they oppressed people, when they robbed their citizens of all of that oil money. I mean, I get it. Saudi princes need lots of Lamborghinis. What else are they going to drive around the south of France? A Toyota? Get the fuck out of here. Come on. And if one of these despots started to misbehave or cause too much trouble, we would invade. Do what you want as long as you don't shut off the oil. That's why we went after Saddam Hussein. So we would buy their oil and we would sell them lots of military equipment. That's like a win-win a, a for everybody. We get the stuff we need. We sell stuff that's good for, for, for American companies that want to sell it, I guess. We'd sell them engineering services and equipment to pump all the oil. That's good business too. And for years, that system worked. But then around 2009, it became technically and commercially viable to do fracking in the U.S., now, what's fracking, you might ask? I, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with this. It turns out that there are these huge areas of land in the U.S., in Pennsylvania and in Texas and in North Dakota, that are just absolutely filled with oil and natural gas. But these products are trapped inside of giant, giant rocks underground. And the rocks are so thick that you can't drill directly through them. What you have to do is you drill down next to them and then you turn the drill 90 degrees and you drill horizontally into the oil deposits and you insert two, two tubes. One allows you to pump a huge amount of sand and water into the rock through one of these, these tubes, one of these pipes that increases the pressure and that pushes the oil and gas out through another pipe. It's complicated, but it works. And it turns out that the U.S. can produce about as much oil and gas as Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, we produce so much of it that we're even exporting it and selling it to, to other countries. We don't even need Saudi oil anymore. And if we don't need their oil, we also don't need to sell them the missiles and the jets. We don't really need to have anything to do with them. We don't need to support their corrupt politicians. 
It doesn't mean we don't want to sell them stuff. You better believe that Raytheon and Lockheed Martin want their money, but it's not as necessary anymore. But the Arabs still want our equipment. So how else can they kiss up to us? Israel. And hence the Abraham Accords. And that's the deal. If you play nice with Israel, we will play nice with you and keep the military gear flowing. Seems like a a good deal, a win-win. Remember, Israel has the most dynamic economy in the entire region. They've got a high-tech industry, military equipment, autonomous driving, tourism. Everyone wants to be in Israel. I get it. It's an amazing place. And the Arab states realize that oil is not going to sustain them forever. They're trying to diversify, but it's funny the way that they do it. They're just throwing gobs of money at these white elephant projects. And that's a waste, but whatever, at least they realize they need to diversify. And I've heard cynics who say that this wasn't a big accomplishment, but it it was. Just because there's some sort of commercial interest involved doesn't change the fact that Jared Kushner and President Trump got this done. They got the right people in the room with the right incentives, and they accomplished something impressive, something that improves the chances for peace in the region. It's arguably one of the greatest accomplishments of the Trump presidency. It doesn't mean that the Arabs and the Israelis suddenly love each other, but at least they're talking. Last night was the Met Gala. It's time for a quick word from our sponsor. I love podcasts. You love podcasts. Osama bin Laden loved podcasts, I think. He was a big true crime buff. And I published The Lee Show using Anchor. I think it's a great service. I tested out a number of options. This was clearly the best. They have great sound quality. It's the same company. Anchor is made by the same company that created the weapons that cause Havana syndrome. How cool is that? And it's owned by Spotify as part of their quest to destroy Neil Young. Anchor provides the tools that let you record and edit from your phone, from your computer. I record my audio, I upload it, and distribute it to all the major podcasting platforms. It's very easy. They'll get you on Spotify, they'll get you on Apple Podcasts, all the leading players, and you can make big bucks. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. At the Metropolitan Museum. Now, I, I love the Met. It's a fabulous museum. They've got this huge and varied collection. I I can easily spend hours there. And this party has about 600 people. It used to be big donors to the museum. Now it's just this thing with A-list celebrities who gather to sort of preen around in fancy clothes and and fine, whatever. Like, I don't care if they want to have a party. I think it's a little tacky, but who cares? But what struck me about this is something I've been noticing for a while. And it's in all the pictures, you can see who is wearing a mask and who is not. And it seems to me that masks are becoming a class issue. If you are wealthy, you don't need to wear a mask. And if you are poor, you do. And there were pictures last night of celebrities and politicians arriving unmasked which fine, I I don't care if they wear masks. I I think the masks are kind of useless anyways. But yet all of the photographers and the waiters are wearing masks. How come? 
Like, what's the difference? If someone needs one, they need one, regardless of how famous they are. And if not, then no one needs one. It just seems weirdly dehumanizing to see these servant people have to hide their faces while the A-list crowd does not need to. It seems hypocritical. We've seen time and again that the rhetoric around masks is shaped by the left to fit whatever narrative seems convenient. Glenn Greenwald had a, a great quote in his piece today. He said, but all of this stopped being about the science long ago, ever since months of relentless messaging that it is our moral duty to stay at home unless we want to sociopathically kill grandma was replaced overnight by dictates that we had a moral duty to leave our homes to attend densely packed street protests since the racism being projected was a more severe threat to the public health than the global COVID pandemic. And one can locate in all of this jumbled and always shifting rationale, various forms of control, shaming, stigma, and hierarchy, while the science is nowhere to be found. It's a really good point. Last summer, we were being told you have to stay home. You can't go to the beach. You can't do anything. And if you go to the supermarket, you got to wear a mask. And then suddenly it was like, no, you got to get out to go to, to a, a march and a riot with tens of thousands of people. It's fucking nonsense. There's no scientific rationale for any of it. These rules are convoluted and arbitrary, and that's by design. Because everything that you can do can be described as essential or reckless, depending on who is doing it and whatever is politically expedient. That's not science. That's just the powerful trying to control people. And it's disgusting. And when you see pictures of AOC arriving last night at this gala, unmasked, surrounded by masked servant people, that's really revolting. How many times in the past 18 months have we seen politicians violate their own policies because they believe themselves to be above the law? Gavin Newsom forced restaurants and small businesses to close. He told people they couldn't visit the park, but it was okay for him to dine maskless with his favorite lobbyists at the French Laundry. One more reason why he needs to be recalled. You know, about six years ago, right before Coachella, I think it was maybe 2015, I was in LA and I had dinner with two good friends from Wharton. And one of them is a medical doctor who had done a lot of research on intestinal health. And I knew nothing about the topic, but over a two hour dinner, I learned a lot. And the idea that he advanced was that every person has a different combination of bacteria in their intestines and that your specific combo of bacteria dictates how you digest food and which foods are easier for you to digest. If you eat foods that are hard to digest, your body spends a lot of energy trying to do it. That takes away from the energy that you have to do other things. But that biome of bacteria in your gut also dictates other things like how much fat you retain and what kind of shape you're in. It's not the only thing that dictates it, but it contributes to it. And some foods are harder for people to digest. Gluten is a common one. Certain vegetables called nightshades, that's another common one. Nightshades, in case you don't know, are potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, a few other things. So for some people, some, 
it's easier to digest those. For others, it's harder. Now, that's different from an allergy. It's maybe what you would call a sensitivity. Maybe. Not quite sure. And over the past decade, two things seem to have become conventional wisdom, at least among a certain group of upper-class white people. The first is that carbs are bad. Carbs make you fat. Avoid them at all costs. And the second is that gluten is bad. You hear people say, everyone's allergic to gluten. Gluten is the most dangerous substance known to mankind. Avoid it at all costs. And people eat eat gluten-free bread even though it tastes like crap. This is weird. For 2,000 years, we have been fighting wars over gluten. And suddenly no one can eat gluten? That's nuts. And I get it. Some people have a serious allergy to gluten. I think that's called celiac disease. Some people are just told that they are gluten sensitive or something. And there's rarely a lot of rigor behind that. Like it's not some detailed analysis of your body. It's just, you know, someone who looks you in the eye like a witch doctor and is like, eh, let me tell you a thing. But that's fine. I, I don't care what you eat. It doesn't affect me if you eat a loaf of bread every day or if you throw all of your bread in the ocean. But my friend had some interesting ideas about what you can do with this. First of all, did you know you can take a person's feces and condense it into a capsule form and use that capsule as a rectal suppository? And with that capsule, you can help cure certain illnesses. If you put someone else's, some healthy person's shit into your ass, you can help cure diseases. That's fucking incredible. Like there's a horrible infection called C. diff that many people contract from unclean hospitals. My mother got it years ago and it's nasty, but you can treat it with a fecal transplant. You can change Someone's gut biome with a fecal transplant. Theoretically, you could see some dude at the gym with amazing abs who also eats lots of bread and potatoes, and you could say, I want his biome. And then through a fecal transplant, you get it. Or, or imagine like a celebrity version of this, like if Brad Pitt started selling his, his fecal pills for $10,000 a pop. And you can convey from one person to another the ability to fight off whatever they are sensitive to. So you could get rid of your gluten intolerance. That's incredible science. The future is bright. We are not stagnating. Now, carbs in general requires a bit of discussion. So to understand carbs, you have to realize there are two energy pathways in your body. And the first pathway is you burn glucose and turn that into energy to power your body. Glucose comes from carbs. The second pathway only kicks in after you burn off those glucose stores. And at that point, your body starts to burn fat. That's what the keto diet is all about. You are depriving your body of carbs so that you will cause your body to use fat as energy. And that makes sense. You run down the first source and then you go to the reserve tanks and the reserves are fat and that's how you burn fat. So if you eat carbs, you top up the glucose and then you don't start burning off the fat deposits. But remember, eating fat does not give you fat. Eating fat and being fat are different things. 
eating cholesterol and having high cholesterol are different things. And I get it. I get why this is confusing for people. Because for years we had the food pyramid. You remember that? It was that diagram on the side of the box of Triscuits that told us how to live healthy lives. That diagram was fucking insane. The whole thing was a conspiracy to make people fat. In the 1960s, a group of scientists, all of whom were paid by the big cereal companies, published this nonsense research showing that a healthy diet is like all Wonder Bread and Frosted Flakes and Maraschino cherries. And then they lobbied the inept government agencies. And this became the diet of millions. School children were fed based on these nutritional guidelines. And it, it took on this air of legitimate research. I believe this is one of the greatest scams ever perpetrated on the American people. It's why we have an epidemic of diabetes and, and obesity. The whole diagram should have been flipped upside down. Meat, poultry, fat, yogurt, vegetables, fruit. Eat lots of that stuff. Don't eat the Wonder Bread and Frosted Flakes. And I hope, I hope that at some point the historians look back on this and write the definitive account of how this was perpetrated on the American people and try to account for all of the harm that it has caused. And, you know, the, the update to the food pyramid is now that we know that that stuff is bad, the new version of that is the fat activist movement where you have people that are like, actually, you just can't shame people for being fat. We get it. They're fat, but it's okay to be fat. That's the new, that's the new thing. And they, they perpetrate that through magazine covers through marketing. It's okay to be fat. It's not healthy. We know that, but they tell you it's okay. So that instead of saying you should eat a lot of frosted flakes, it's now, it doesn't matter if you do because it's okay to be fat. And at some point we're going to realize that that is a scam as well. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Instagram at the Lee show podcast. You can find me on Twitter on Substack. read my essays, pay me money, sign up as a subscriber to the show. Please do that. Recommend this to your friends and colleagues, and I will be back with more soon.